Welcome to Gracious Words. Gracious Words is taken from the weekly women's Bible study taught by Cheryl Broderson at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California. We behold your glory, God, in the face of Christ. It shows us who you are, revealing who you are. In your night season, Jesus has a word for you. Be of good cheer. Why be of good cheer in the midst of discouraging circumstances? We'll look at four reasons as we begin our journey through Acts chapter 23 and 24 with Cheryl Broderson. one of Cheryl's message, Be of Good Cheer. Let's be honest, life can be so discouraging. Have you ever despaired of life before? I know I have. You know, when I was a kid and I used to sing, thy loving kindness is better than life, I was like, really? You know, I'm, I'm sorry, I was a church kid. You know, and sometimes they're just words. But as I get older, I'm like, your loving kindness is better than life. There's sometimes that life just gets so hard. Sometimes it seems like the attacks are relentless. I don't know about you, but you just pay the bills and the more come. There are times that you feel so, oh, you just do the dishes and more come. You empty the trash and more come. You do the laundry and more comes. There are times you just feel so alone and abandoned and nobody seems to understand you. Or there are times where you're so condemned you think or you know that you have blown it. You have just done it and you shouldn't have said that word. You shouldn't have taken that action. It was a stupid thing to do. Not you, just me. Life is hard sometimes because the future is so unknown. Lord, I don't know what's up ahead. So far, this has happened and this has happened. And I don't know what the future holds. I don't know what to do. What do you want me to do? And there are so many threats. Things that threaten our health. Things that threaten our future. Things that threaten our emotional well-being. There are so many threats. But we were warned by Jesus in John chapter 16, verse 33, that there would be times like this. Jesus said to us, not just his disciples, these things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. This, this phrase, be of good cheer, it's the Greek word tharseo. I love it. I've just been saying tharseo all week long just because it's fun to say tharseo. And it means cheer up or be filled with joy, be elated. It means be encouraged, be strengthened by joy. It's the Nehemiah principle. The joy of the Lord is our strength. It is to be strengthened or fortified or undergird by joy. And this is a word that Jesus used at different times in the gospel. To the paralyzed man, paralyzed by sin. In Matthew 9, 2, Jesus said, 
Be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven. Be elated. Be strengthened by joy. To a woman plagued by an issue for 12 years in Luke 8, verse 48, no one else could help. She was at the end of her resources, and she was reaching out to Jesus among the throngs, grasping with that touch of faith. Jesus said, daughter, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. To his disciples who were rowing and struggling against an angry sea, and it looked as if they were headed for disaster, the very sea that raged against them and impeded their progress, filled their boat, and threatened their lives, was the sea that Jesus came walking on under his feet. And he said to them, do not be afraid. Be of good cheer. It is I. To Paul, the apostle, after being mobbed by the Jews in Jerusalem, arrested by the Romans, tried by the Sanhedrin, and imprisoned in Roman barracks, Jesus stood by him in the night and said, Be of good cheer, Paul. For as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness of me in Rome. What a word of comfort. What a word of courage and strength and absolute joy. Now this word coming from anyone else might not have had the same effect. I know... um, there was a time that I really, really fell into depression in England. And I remember my son Char came up to me and I had gotten so depressed. I I had been in bed for three days. I couldn't get out of bed because of the depression. I had never, ever been depressed in my life. In fact, my nickname by my parents was Sunshine. And I just, (laughs) there was no sunshine in England. Maybe that was part of it. But I was just... I was going, I had never, ever had these feelings or never, ever felt paralyzed before by depression. And I remember my son, Char, he was all of uh, 13 years old and came in my room and he says, you know, what's going on with you? And I said, Char, I really don't know. And he says, you think you could just give up being our mom? You think you could just go to bed? You, aren't you the Christian? Aren't you the one who's teaching the Bible? You, You think this is the right way to act? You think this pleases God? You know what? You need to cheer up and get out of this bed. And he turned around and walked out of the room and said, I talked to her. She'll be all right. (laughs) You know, coming from Chari, it really was like, it was like just, you know, another nail in the casket, actually. But I didn't let him know that. I wanted him to be a pastor someday as he is. But coming from Jesus, it's a word of forgiveness. It's a word of healing. It's a word of restoration, a word of salvation, and a word of comfort. Here in the night season, feeling no doubt like a failure, at one of the lowest points in his life, Paul communes with the eternal one who is saying, Paul, I have seen it all. I have already been where you are going, and I already know what you're going through. So cheer up. Don't worry. I've gone before you. It's a word of empowerment. Jesus, Paul's master, the one he lived to please, is saying, I am pleased. 
I do love you. In your night season, Jesus has a word for you. Tharseo. Oh, it feels very good to say it. This word, be of good cheer, take comfort, be joyful, be strengthened. As we look at Acts chapter 23 and 24, we're going to see four reasons for good cheer. Four reasons for Tharseo from the life of Paul. Number one reason. We find it in Isaiah 54, 17. First reason to be of good cheer. No weapon formed against you will prosper. Every tongue which rises against you in judgment, you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servant of the Lord. How many here are the servant of the Lord? All right, it's for you. And their righteousness is of me. God will provide the righteousness. God provides all the qualifications so that you can qualify for this promise to be of good cheer because Jesus is Lord. He's over all. He's sovereign. He's got it all under control. Not a sparrow falls to the ground apart from his father's will. Nothing is out of order in your life. It is all going according to plan. As he says in Romans 8, 28, all things work together for the good of those that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. It's all weaving together. It's all coming together. Thirdly, because God is not finished with you. You might be finished with yourself, but God's not finished with you. He's got more plans up ahead. As it says in Philippians 1.6, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. He's got more plans for you. I love the way the New Living Translation puts it in Ephesians 2.10. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. So we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. There's more good things to come. He's not finished. And finally, be of good cheer because God is with you. As he stood with Paul, he is standing with you. And he is promising that he will never leave you nor forsake you so that you may boldly proclaim, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me when the Lord is standing right with me? Be of good cheer. No weapon formed against you will prosper. Think of all the weapons that were formed against Paul. Let's start right here in chapter 23 with this council. Here he is still in Jerusalem and he's got to go back before these accusers. This is the Sanhedrin. And it's made up of Pharisees and Sadducees. And they're both against Paul. The Pharisees are angry with Paul because they believe he's forsaking the law. The Sadducees are upset with Paul because he says there is a resurrection from the dead. And Jesus is the proof of that resurrection from the dead. Paul had become uncontrollable. Every place he had gone, he preached the resurrection from the dead and Jews and Greeks alike got saved and became fellow brethren together. 
And he was seen as a menace. Now he's before the enemies. The high priest was Ananias, and he was a Sadducee. He had bought the position of high priest with money and because of his family's influence. He was about 80 years old at this time. And Paul goes before this council and he says, I have lived with a good conscience before God all my life. Men, brethren, fathers, I know you, you know me. You know how I lived. You know my zeal for the Lord. Now, Paul wasn't saying I've lived a perfect life. He's saying, but I have lived with a conscience that is sensitive to the love of God, uh, law of God. I have lived my life before God, wanting to please God. That's how I've lived. I've been convicted easily. Two of the things that I look for if a person is truly born again, you know, if they say the sinner's prayer, did it take? Yeah, did you ever wonder, like, I don't think it took with them. I think they need to do it like five more times, maybe 10. But the two things I look for a healthy Christian is I look for a healthy appetite. Do they want the word? Do they want more of Jesus? Do they want fellowship? Are they getting the cravings? Secondly, I look for conviction of sin. Do they feel bad when they hurt someone's feelings? Your conviction of sin is not a sign that you are outside God's will. It's a sign that you are inside God's will. And so Paul is saying, I get convicted. My conscience is convicted when I don't obey the law. At this time, Ananias orders one of the men who's near Paul to strike him on the face. And Paul, as we know, says, you whitewashed wall, God will strike you. (laughs) I love Paul. He's human. And then someone says, do you dare to say that to the high priest? And Paul says, no, I'm sorry. I didn't realize he was the high priest because I know what the law says. You know, the law says that you shouldn't bring an accusation against the high priest, Exodus 21. And yet this high priest who had struck Paul was contrary to the law. He didn't get convicted. He wasn't applying the law to his life. So Paul is being accused of not living by the law or dismissing the law of Moses. And Paul is showing, no, by the power of Jesus Christ, I actually live it even more because the Holy Spirit is working in me. And here's Ananias, the great representation of the law, the one who should be living by the law more than anyone else. And what is he doing? Breaking the law. And then Paul is showing the sensitivity towards the law. So Paul is brought in, and as you might say, the deck was loaded against Paul. Years ago, um, when we lived in England, My father um, and mom had come over to visit, and we left my dad with my five-year-old to watch them. You know, dad loved watching the grandchildren. And so my grandson had talked my dad into playing cards, and they played war. And I got home, and my dad said, you got to watch this kid. I'm like, why? He goes, he went through the deck beforehand and put the, a lower card, higher card, lower card, higher card, lower card, higher card. And then he dealt it to me. And he said, I'm looking at my hand and I keep having twos, threes, fours, fives. He said, not one card in my hand was above a six. And he keeps coming king, ace. <laughs> the deck was loaded. That's what we mean by a loaded deck. 
Paul didn't realize that this was the high priest. This man ruled from AD 47 to AD 58. He was hated by um, most Jews because of his corruption. In fact, he was later, even in his 80s, hunted down and murdered by his brethren, by the Jews, because of how corrupt he was. Why Paul didn't recognize him, I don't know. It could be because he aged, because Paul hadn't been in Jerusalem for 18 years, because he wasn't wearing his priestly garments, because Paul perhaps had eye problems. Or maybe Paul was just hyper-focused on what the Lord wanted him to say at the time. But Paul apologized for what he had done, showing his adherence to the law. And then Paul cried out. As he looked around, he saw that he was dealing with Pharisees and Sadducees. And so he perceived the division in the room. And so he stated his background. Men and brethren, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee. Concerning the hope and resurrection of the dead, I am being judged. And when he said this, a dissension ensued. And the scribes, who were the Pharisees, suddenly sided with Paul. They totally changed sides. And they begin to say in verse 9, we find no evil in this man. But if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him, let us not fight against God. This is interesting because this is the same counsel that Gamaliel, who had been Paul's instructor, gave to the council some 40 50 years earlier, or 30 years earlier, concerning Peter's sermon about Jesus rising from the dead. So now these scribes and Pharisees are saying, look, maybe he has had an encounter. There is something going on. Jesus had said to his disciples, take no thought, don't plan out what you're going to say when you're going to appear before councils and kings. And governors for my sake, because the Holy Spirit will give you irresistible words. And that's what we see right here. This one sentence, I am here concerning the resurrection from the dead. It changed the mind of the Pharisees so that suddenly they're saying, we don't find a fault with this man. Maybe an angel has spoken to him. Maybe he does have the truth. And the Sadducees are getting upset. So we see that the council begins to turn on each other. And the Romans come in. They grab Paul and they put him in protective custody while his enemies turn on each other. It reminds me of 2 Chronicles chapter 20, where we find out that the enemies of Judah were coming against them and they were in the Valley of Seir. They weren't too far from Jerusalem. And the Lord speaks to the assembly at the courtyard of the temple and says, you will not have to fight this battle. The Lord will gain the victory. And those who were marching out to battle, they put the singers in front just to sing praise. And we're told as they begin to sing praises to the Lord, The Lord set an ambush. And so those people that had come against Judah turned on each other and they killed each other until there was not a living man among the enemies. No weapon formed against you will prosper. We see that again in the plot by the enemy 
to overthrow or to capture and murder Paul in verses 12 through 23 of chapter 23. We see that 40 zealous Jews agree together not to eat or drink until they have murdered Paul. They conspire with the high priest and elders in a plot to lure Paul to another council meeting, and they plan on making a request of Claudius Lysias and saying, please, just bring Paul. We, we need to ask him a few more questions. And now Lysias is interested in getting exactly what the charges are against Paul. So he, he would be open to another meeting with these elders. And as they're plotting this, we find out that Paul's young nephew somehow hears about this or overhears this plotting, this young lad. And he goes, this brave young lad makes his way to these Roman barracks to see his uncle Paul. And he tells his uncle Paul about this plot against him. Paul calls for one of the centurions to his cell and he introduces them to his nephew and says he has something that he needs to tell the commander. And the centurion, this Roman centurion, over a hundred soldiers, this important person takes this young boy to the commander and this young boy has an audience with the commander and the commander takes this young boy by the hand. So he must have been pretty young and takes him into another room. So it's very private. And the young boy tells him about these 40 Jews that have conspired together not to eat or drink until they have murdered his uncle. He tells them about the plot. He tells them about how they plan to talk to Lysias and to make requests for a council meeting, but it's all a ruse. Claudius Lysias says to the young man, don't tell anyone what you've told me. And then Claudius goes to making plans. And he decides on a royal escort for Paul. Paul is put on a horse. Now, most prisoners have to walk in the midst of soldiers. And there's usually not that many soldiers that would guard someone, maybe one, maybe two. But instead, Claudius makes these plans and he mounts Paul on a horse like a royal citizen, like a king. And he hires 200 soldiers, 200 other soldiers carrying spears and 70 cavalrymen. Paul is in the midst of these 400 soldiers, some 200 again with the spears and these these 70 cavalrymen, not cavalry chaplemen, but just cavalrymen <laughs> surrounding him as he's mounted in the middle. Talk about a royal escort. And they take him to Antipatris, which is the, um, it was a, a Roman fortress. Now, the journey from Jerusalem to this Roman fortress would have been very, very dangerous. This is where you could be um, ambushed. And so this is where you need the heaviest guard and they deliver Paul safely to this place. Think about it. 40 zealous Jews not going to eat, which would make them even grumpier and meaner. Hungry men, nothing like one hungry man, let alone 40 hungry men. Wouldn't want to be in that company. 
So what happens? Paul gets a royal escort. Paul is protected. Paul is insulated. Why these men, if they keep their vow, either starved to death or died of thirst or had to break their vow. No weapon formed against you will prosper. Be of good cheer because no weapon formed against you shall prosper. Sometimes we are in a position like Paul, where the enemy is coming against you from all sides. But where Jesus is fighting for you, there is joy and peace. Nothing can circumvent the will of God. We hope you have been blessed by today's Bible study with Cheryl Broderson. If you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply visit our website at graciouswords.com or call 1-800-733-6443 and refer to it by name, which is Be of Good Cheer. Once again, our website is graciouswords.com and our toll-free number is 1-800-733-6443. Coming up next time on the Gracious Words program, Cheryl will continue her teaching in Acts chapter 23 and 24 with part two of her message, Be of Good Cheer. We do hope you make plans to join us. This program is sponsored by Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.